0: Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the Sot Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome everybody, my name is Jonathan, I'll be your host for today. Joining me in the studio here from all over the planet, uh, Tiffany, Doug, Erica, and Gabby. So we have a whole crew today.
1: Hey. Hello.
0: Hello. So we uh, today's topic is uh, medicinal herbs. Uh, we got some interesting things to go over. We're going to talk about anti-inflammatory herbs, uh, stuff for the liver and kidneys, cancer-fighting herbs, antibacterial. Um, we got a big list here, so we will uh, try to kind of keep it light and um, cover, you know, the essential information. Uh, just give you some tips. About what to uh, look up if you're looking for herbs to treat various uh, conditions, and we should say that uh, this is not uh, the stuff that we discuss here on the show is not const- it's not meant to constitute medical advice. Um, if you need medical advice, you should conduct uh, uh, consult your practitioner. Um, we are basically here to kind of give you uh, clues and guide you in the right direction and have a discussion about these topics so we are not trying to pose as your doctor. Um, (laughs) So let's uh, let's start off a little bit here with um, some general topics uh, from the week. Um, It's like we have some articles to go over. Uh, Tiffany, do you want to get us started with that?
2: Okay, uh, this is an article posted on site called Lemongrass Essential Oil, a useful addition to your first aid kit. It was written by Gay Levy. Uh, I thought that lemongrass was just something that you find in cooking, like if you went to a Asian fusion restaurant, but apparently mm. it's not.
1: <laughs>
2: um, they can use the essential oil of lemongrass in your first aid kit. It's been used to treat fevers, inflammation, indigestion, and it also acts as a sedative. Um, It's also used for purification and odor control, not just for the environment, but I guess for yourself as well. So if you have a case of BO, you can (laughs) try some (laughs) lemongrass under your armpits perhaps. Um, lemongrass has antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, and analgesic properties, so it's good for relieving pain. And in the article, uh, the author lists 23 uses of lemongrass, and that's the thing about these herbs. They're not just good for one thing. There's just so many things you can use them for, but here's some of them. Um, muscle and tendon relaxer. It's good for relieving headaches, and arthritic joint pain, pulled muscles, wounds, heartburn, sprains and sports injuries, fever reduction. It acts as a flea and insect repellent. Um, It's good for acne, athlete's foot, oily skin, stress relief, uh, reduces high blood pressure, and it's good for water retention. And it also helps with insomnia. An important thing to note about the lemongrass oil, or with any oil, essential oil, really, is you should always dilute it before applying it to your skin. Um, You should always pair it with a carrier oil, like uh, coconut oil or any other oil of your choice, and do a little skin test just to see how your skin will react to it, because some people are more sensitive to certain herbs than other people. Um, some herbs like lemongrass can be ingested, but you want to make sure you have the very highest quality, and you should also always do your research and consult an herbalist when necessary. So that's lemongrass.
0: Right on. That's a good point, I think, about um, diluting it and and making sure that you don't have any reactions to that. Um, I've had some personal experience with that, and I think other people here have as well um I the yeah. oil of ore- oil of oregano caused a, a big problem for me I just took too much of it and internally and uh caused kind of a massive Simon reaction for a little while mm. uh,
2: what yeah. did you take it for
0: uh it was I was trying to do an antifungal regimen but uh, to mm-hmm. be quite honest, I was being stupid about it, and I didn't uh, do my full and proper due diligence on how much I should take and in combination with what. So I was taking iodine, and then I I put oil of oregano on top of that, and I think it basically just killed off all of my gut flora, and mm-hmm. had this ah. massive massive dial oh. reaction that lasted lasted about a month. Um, yeah. Oil of oregano is very, very powerful.
3: It actually will uh will kill off your good bacteria as well as your bad bacteria. They usually recommend mm-hmm. only doing it for um for a couple of weeks at a time. I know that uh some people like to do oil of oregano um preventatively, but um it it's just too strong. It just it kills off mm-hmm. too much of uh, of your good good bacteria as well. So so I mm-hmm. always tell people no, stick stick to like two weeks, three weeks at the most for oil of yeah. oregano. Yeah. You know what? I, I was
4: Sorry, I was just going to say that I always thought I was allergic to that stuff, you know, because I would have mm. rashes and high fever symptoms. But it makes me think, well, maybe it was a die-off reaction,
1: you know. Yeah.
4: Could have been. I don't know. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, that's a, a good cautionary tale. I mean, with all herbs and anything that you take for medicinal purposes, you have to make sure you're using the right dose, the right type. Uh, the Mm -hmm. right method of delivery, whether it's through skin or orally or as a compress or tincture or whatever. So just be Mm -hmm. careful. I mean, just because they're natural doesn't mean they're always good to be used for prolonged periods.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And another thing, too, uh, a lot of times people, I get questions a lot about interactions with, uh, like, pharmaceutical medications because some people try to, like, you know, they'll try to do things like, help their problem more by adding a natural remedy in with uh, with a pharmaceutical they've been prescribed. But you have to be very careful with that because there are definitely, like, interactions that can happen there. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you always want to talk to somebody, whether that be, like, a naturopath, a doctor. Doctors don't tend to know too much about herbs and will usually just say don't do them altogether. together. But um, pharmacists, <laughs> yeah, pharma- yeah, except for Gabby, yeah. Uh, Pharmacists actually tend to know a lot about interactions, too. So talking to a pharmacist might be a good idea to find out about that.
4: Yeah. I I find that there's a lot of black and white thinking, like people hiring all these pharmaceuticals, then they find out they have dangerous side effects, and they want Mm. to drop them off immediately, like, you know, yesterday. Like, okay, wait a minute. Easy goes it. You know, first, you know, dietary changes, experimenting with it. With herbs and
2: supplements, and then slowly but surely remove the drugs. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, at the very least, you should get a few good books on herbs and how they're mm-hmm. used and how to use them before you mm-hmm. jump into anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Speaking of which, does anybody know of any good herb books that they might yeah, have I've on got the one. library shelf?
3: Yeah, actually, um, in in my research today, I found a really good book uh, called Herbal Medicine, Healing, and Cancer. Um, And I think this is, uh, it's by um, Donald R. Yance. And um, he's an herbalist, a registered herbalist and uh, MD. And uh, he has some excellent information about using herbs for treating cancer, both if you're going through chemo and radiation, or if you're not, if you're forgoing those things altogether. So, yeah, really excellent book uh, as far as um, treating treating cancer goes.
4: I personally just bought an encyclopedia of herbal medicine plants with photographs uh, from my local area. So I can learn to recognize them and also, you know, how to use them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: that's, that's useful too. There, mm.
0: There's also a good book called The Complete Herbal. Mm. Um by Nicholas Culpepper. That's a good one. Yeah. We found mm. it on Amazon.
3: Another good one called uh, the Yoga of Herbs. Um and Vasant Lad is the name of the uh the author of that one and he's uh he's an ayurvedic practitioner. Uh so Ayurveda is like an ancient uh Indian uh med- medicinal system. So uh that's a that's a really good one too uh to get uh, get some good uh ayurvedic herbs that you can use not so much local herbs um a lot of the ayurvedic stuff you'll you'll only find kind of in uh india and uh asia but um you know in this day and age we can find these things in, in a variety of different health food stores and stuff so that's another good book
0: not yeah, to digress too much but what um just for our listeners who might not be aware what what exactly is ayurvedic people might have heard that term
3: yeah, oh, well, like yeah, I said, yeah. it's, it's, it's an ancient, uh, ancient Indian, uh, medicinal system. And, uh, it's traditional Chinese medicine actually spawned off of it. So there's a lot of kind of, uh, parallels there. But it uses a lot of different methods, like, like old methods. So herbs being one of them. But there's different, uh, cleansing and detox, uh, detoxification methods that they use. Um, yeah, some of it gets kind of wacky. Um, so, I mean, they do, like, if you do look in the old Ayurvedic stuff, they do talk about things like bloodletting and, and stuff like that. And I think people really need to, you know, um, think about that a little bit harder before you start experimenting with it. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very interesting system. Um, and I, I don't put stock in it completely, but certainly like things like the herbal, um, components of it are definitely, uh, interesting and worth checking out. Mm-hmm.
4: I haven't thought that herbal medicine, Yeah, you know, like the oysters or oils, they were heavily contaminated with heavy metals.
3: Do mm. um,
4: you know something about that? Do we have to be wary about that?
3: Well, I think that's a good point with any any kind of um, herbal. Uh, you know, it's a good idea to find out where exactly it's coming from um, because that, you know, some of the stuff coming out of China or, um you know stuff where you don't have a good idea of where it's coming from don't be afraid to contact the company and ask them where stuff is coming from ask them if they've done any kind of testing on it to see because yeah that's a concern with a number of different uh different herbs and and remedies is that you know sometimes people are just getting this really cheap stuff um you know buying it in bulk from from dodgy distributors and just like kind of bottling it and putting it on the shelf. So it is it is a good idea to 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 I mean there are definitely reputable companies out there. Um so doing some some research on that is uh is a good idea.
5: Yeah just, yeah, it's a, always... just a little bit of background about um I basically means the science of life. Or mm-hmm. uh IR meaning life and Veda meaning knowledge of and um they call it the sister science to yoga. And, mm. uh, it's one of the oldest medicines, practice. And, and I agree you, Doug. There's something like funky about it, but mm. they go on like their genetic life system of them. like they have different, what they call the doshas or, or fire, too much, uh, water in the body or too much fire in the body. And then they kind of treat your symptoms based on that. So mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: pretty, like, in-depth topic, yeah. you know, if, if people are interested. I think we've carried articles about... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, let's um, continue on a, a little bit in our uh, our recap of some of these items from the news. Um, Gabby, it looks like you had something to talk about uh, risks associated with heartburn drugs.
4: Oh, yes. This was an article published by Dr. Mercola. Um, risk associated with heartburn drugs outweighs the benefits, which is very, you know, logical. It should have been obvious right from the beginning. And uh, he describes how 20 million Americans are currently taking these drugs. And they're called proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs for short. And the brand names in America are Nexium, Prilosec. I'm not sure how to pronounce this because, really, in the rest of the world, we use huh. generic names, and the generic names are omeprazole, lansoprazole, and so forth. And uh, just to give you an idea, guys, um, when I was in med school in the '90s, doctors, all doctors, were forbidden to prescribe these drugs. The mm. way really? to prescribe these drugs, yes. <laughs> Um, usually in a hospital setting, you will seek the gastroenterologist and you will present him the case and say, I really, really need a drug for this patient. And uh, depending on his medical criteria, he will allow it. Uh, he will make the prescription and then you will be able to get that drug for the patient. It was usually just for one week or two weeks at the most, mm. so people have remember that these drugs were never used to treat, um, they were they were never manufactured to treat heartburn. It was manufactured to treat, you know, extremely, you know, r- uh, rare conditions when there is a lot of acidity, like a uh, Sollinger-Ellison syndrome, which is a condition where there is, you know, it's an excess um, acid production. Also, when there were, like, ulcers uh, made out of stress, you know, people with uh, a lot of burns like over 60% superficial burn in the skin. People usually do also stomach ulcers out of stress and conditions like these. But this was in the 90s then you know, time went through, um, the medical criteria got relaxed. A lot of people got heartburn, usually from a very <laughs> tough diet, eating lots of carbs, gluten, mm-hmm. you know, toxic stuff, that's typically the things that, cause heartburn and nowadays you can get these drugs even from your neighbor. you know it's like hey, do
1: you have <laughs> yes i do <laughs> here
2: so yes, yes. you can get them over the counter i mean not that doctors yeah don't pass exactly. them out, not candy nowadays yeah
4: yeah without a prescription which shouldn't be the case because you really really need stomach acid it's really very good for you it helps you digest your food a certain nutrients is your first line of defense against uh, pathological bacteria or uh, food toxicity and as we age especially if you eat lots of carbs gluten toxic stuff when you age you you basically stop producing stomach acid you know you have hydrocholormia yeah. which is slow stomach acidity so food doesn't get properly digested and it's Stagnates in your stagnates in your stomach this is when there is reflux from stomach content content into the esophagus and that produces heartburn so these drugs maybe cause temporary release but in long term it really makes everything worse so yes yeah, so this is the short story the long story is that uh, the other story is that people who started these drugs in the 90s uh last decade they've been taking it for every single day, well, the results are in. There are studies which show that these drugs are related with
1: pneumonia
4: in the elderly, osteoporosis, more hip fractures, more infections of everything, and vitamin deficiencies, for example, B12 deficiency, uh, which can lead to depression and so forth. There is also increased risk for heart attack related with these drugs. So. The results have been pretty catastrophic. Even in mainstream medicine, this is known. in Mainstream medicine that you cannot prescribe these drugs anymore. Just just for a week or two weeks at the most. But Mm -hmm. only people with very special criteria are allowed to have them, and other people, sorry, you just have to either change your diet or you Mm -hmm. know take natural remedies or something more intuitive, you know. And uh, (laughs) so yes, Dr. Mercola. He covers uh, this same experience that I had, and it's a really very good article because he argues that, you know, nowadays the most severe acid reflux cases where you will think the drug is properly prescribed, it has to do with helicobacter papillary infection, Mm -hmm. which is a bacteria that he argues naturally lives in our stomach. But Mm -hmm. only when we have low stomach acidity or we are eating toxic stuff, which creates a gut flora imbalance, then it creates disease. And also, which is also related to a bad diet, you know. So, so yeah, so the key, uh, I remember we carried an article in the Spanish thought, because uh, here in Spain, uh, these drugs are called the protective stomach drugs, you know, with the protective as a keyword, so people thought they literally protected your stomach. So we carried an article saying, okay, the protective drug that destroys your health, you know. Yeah. It, you know, <laughs> it was a complete success in a sense, like it got shared like thousands and thousands of times on Facebook. We still get email about that article, you know, personal emails like, oh, help, how do I get out these drugs? Like, well, you know. So yeah. Dr. Merkel, sorry It's a really good on how to get off these drugs, you know. And
1: yeah. um
4: getting Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah,
3: getting back I was to just him. gonna say that, that getting uh, getting off these drugs is actually really a difficult thing to do. Because what you're essentially doing is shutting down your, your stomach acid production. So actually trying to get back um, to uh, a natural stomach acid production after you've been shutting it down for, uh, for a prolonged period of time is very, very difficult to do. So these, yeah. these drugs, I, I, I encounter a lot of people who are trying to get off of them, and they're just having a hell of a time trying to to digest anything. Like you can't. You know, you you stop these drugs, and then all of a sudden, your your stomach is expected to just bounce back and start making uh, stomach acid like it always did and digesting things normally. But it's it's uh, it's a difficult thing to do. And um, yeah, I I think that it's a, a very good warning to uh, to kind of stay away from these things.
2: Yeah, I had a friend years ago who had he I think he was taking Nexium, the little purple pill. And it was very expensive, and he was still having heartburn. It really didn't work. So I was reading up about apple cider vinegar and told him mm-hmm. to take a tablespoon or two with that um, before he eats, take a mm-hmm. tablespoon of apple cider vinegar with water before he eats, and uh it stopped. And he didn't have to take a little purple pill anymore. And he wasn't uh-huh. on a keto diet or he was still eating gluten and carbs and everything, but it still worked.
4: Mm -hmm. That is interesting because apple cider vinegar is actually enhances stomach acid and for most Mm -hmm. people it sounds counterintuitive but what you have, what you need is more stomach acid so you can digest Mm -hmm. food properly so it can flow again finally and it will not cause reflux and heartburn. And, uh, yeah, it really breaks my heart to see how the elderly are over-prescribed with these drugs when they actually, you know, for sure, an elderly person has a low stomach acidity period.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And he or she will need more stomach acid, you know. And, yes, there are several herbal remedies uh, to provide temporary relief, but also to enhance uh, stomach acid, you know, safely. And one is apple cider vinegar. The other way is to take supplements, betaine hydrochloric acid is a supplement that you can take. Uh, for temporary relief, baking soda. It's like, you know, you a know, you know, uh, folk remedy, basically. But mm-hmm. also, aloe juice from the aloe vera plant. It helps reduce inflammation and the symptoms of free flux. Also ginger root, it has a protective effect, a real protective effect, by blocking acid and suppressing um, the pathological effects of Helicobacter pylori, the bacteria that causes reflux. And in some studies, it has proven to be far superior to Lanzoprazole, which is one of the best carbon drugs in the market, in preventing the formation of ulcers. And actually has an eight-fold greater potency over the drug Mm -hmm. without the side effects of these drugs. So that's a very good option. Ginger root also optimizing your levels of vitamin D because you know um, and optimizing it optimizes your production of about 200 antimicrobial peptides that help your body eradicate any infection, including the pathological effects of Helicobacter pylori. As, uh, tea is another remedy which helps reduce induced of acid reflux, slippery elm, which uh, coats and soothes the mouth, throat, stomach, and intestines. And intestines. It um, helps uh, address inflammatory bowel conditions, and it increases mucus production, and these protects their gastrointestinal tract against ulcers and excess acidity. Glutamine is another supplement that helps um, counteract the, the damage produced by helicobacter pylori. Um, folate, vitamin, uh, vitamin D and folate or folic acid have also been reported to reduce your, your risk of acid reflux. Actually, higher folic acid intake was found to reduce reflux by approximately 40%. So these supplements mm. even have better results than these drugs without the side effects, you know. Even the supplements containing melatonin, L-tryptophan, vitamin B6, folic acid, vitamin B12, methionine, and that time has shown to be far superior than omeprazole, which is the main drug prescribed um out there for uh the heartburn drugs. A hundred, in a study, a hundred percent of patients, all of them, uh, receiving these supplements, these supplements reported a complete regression of symptoms after 40 days of treatment compared mm. to just under 66 percent of those taking omeprazole, and with no side effects. So again, it's really like the completely necessary to have all, you know, to take these drugs. Even if you think you have like a severe damage of your gut that you cannot reverse because it's too late, well, the good news is that, yeah, actually, there there are good options, natural options, and with far superior results. So, and there you go. Cool. And, and remember, the yeah. most important thing is to remove like the three, four horses of the apocalypse, as one veterinarian <laughs> <fraternity> called colon, <laughs> for acid reflux. If you're still eating corn, Soy, gluten, and lots of sugar, yeah, you will have, you know, reflux. You remove Mm -hmm. those and you cure yourself naturally
2: as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I had, uh, back in my carb and sad diet eating days, I had one episode of heartburn and it was awful. It was Mm -hmm. probably one of the worst feelings I ever had in my life. I Mm -hmm. finally figured out after, like, dealing with it, like, 20, 15 minutes, like, maybe this is uh heartburn (laughs) just had to suffer through it but i can understand people suffering imagine like that really bad feeling that i had for a couple of hours people have that every single day yeah so Mm -hmm. i can imagine how they would be like really desperate and want to try anything
4: Mm -hmm. yeah but i try to tell people uh, imagine life before these drugs. you know they're new they're from the 80s and 90s before what people did is change their diets or take aloe vera, baking soda, you know, natural remedies, and you know, they survived.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah. And thrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
0: Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's see. We're, we've got uh, one more thing here with our uh, introductory segments. Um Looking at an article called "Plants Before Pills." Um and Erica, I know we've got a, a little bit of a connection problem uh from where you are right now, but uh, why don't you talk about this uh topic here for a minute and we'll let's see how it goes uh,
5: so plants before pills going on the tail of what Gabby said the idea um you know these natural herbs can be beneficial and helpful. Our called the ecologist. Sebastian Poshun, who's actually an Ayurvedic practitioner for an organization called Poops. Um, a really formative article about planets, a little bit about Ayurveda, like we had talked about in the beginning, just this science of life and her um, relationship to plants and how now in our fast-paced world and our knowledge really lack uh, nutritional diversity uh, with our relationships. And so um, you know, 100 years ago, uh, we used to keep uh, eating healthy uh, by having over 100 different plants. Um, Today, the figure is over 10 to 20. And so Claiming here that we are exposed to much less of nature's phytochemical benefits, ever. and the variety of herbs in our diet have radicalized. We are no longer bathing our cells' broad spectrum of plant as we did in, and this is why is suffering today. He talks a little bit about block. Block flower remedies and some research that they've done. Um, I suggest the article just to get a bit of ideas, relationship plans. And then um, he goes into a little this whole idea of the danger, modern, and it's basically just what Gabby was talking about. This idea that we need to have these single approaches. It's uh for for one. Oh, take my
2: sound is Yeah, we're gonna have to cut you off yeah. there because you sound like you're in a time warp.
5: Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's unfortunate. <laughs> From a <Parlo-us-> I, tried, <laughs> I tried, I tried. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's good at a few points, but then it just drops I'll just out completely, in. I think. Sure. I think we're just having some <laughs> okay. uh, some connection issues with Skype there um yeah. but you know the yeah. the point stands i think for, from this article that we could uh uh we could address this point you know that um modern medicine has come to a point where it's basically lost a lot of these um you know natural ways of curing illnesses i think even to the point where most people just discount it completely uh you know where mm-hmm. if you say that you are trying to treat something naturally, you're kind of immediately looked on as as a you know a hippie or somebody who's kind of crazy or like you know you're you're a nut job because you don't trust doctors, you don't trust medicine. Um, yeah. You know when you know the reality is uh, the majority of these medicines that have been developed by pharmaceutical companies come out of the study of natural remedies that have been around for thousands of years. Unfortunately, they're so adulterated now. Um, you know, I mean, and of course a lot of them now are just completely, uh, complete chemical cocktails, but what comes to mind for me is something like, um, acetaminophen, you know, which comes from willow bark, uh, Mm -hmm. things like that, that have be, that have become kind of day to day, um, medicines, uh, that came out of the study of, of the natural way of curing things. But it's, it's unfortunate, Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, that it's, it's going the way of the buffalo, the idea that you can treat um, major, even major illnesses with just totally natural remedies.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting point too um, about the the kind of the pharmaceutical uh, companies studying the plant world to try and come up with their new drugs. Um, In a lot of cases, like a lot of the studies that you actually find on herbal remedies and stuff are actually done by pharmaceutical companies because of just that. They're trying to find out what works in these herbal remedies um, and then they try to mimic the molecules or you know try and change them a little bit so that they can then be patented and um, Mm -hmm. you know they instead of using this traditional herb that's worked for thousands and thousands of years they want to um, isolate it alter it a little bit and then patent it so that they can kind of um, make uh, make money off it and and have kind of an exclusive right over it when you know realistically you just uh, you stick with the plant like there's no reason to to do this it only the only reason is to support this system which is kind of like uh this idea you know this this kind of inherent bias that seems to exist in uh in our current culture that uh we have to try and transcend nature and that we're kind of uh you know separate from nature and trying to conquer it in some way um but you know realistically like you know we've lost our connection to that kind of natural world um and we'd probably do a lot better if we kind of tried to reinitiate that and that lost
2: connection with nature kind of uh is proved out because there's from my research i saw that uh there's like one million deaths of americans per year due mm-hmm. to prescription drugs, but when you research mm-hmm. herbs, there's been no deaths reported, not to say that there's not any adverse events from improper use, but mm-hmm. if you compare the use of herbs to prescription drugs, I mean, prescription drugs wins hands down as far as the amount of damage that it does. And
6: yeah. then you also
2: yeah. have to consider, like, um, with herbs, you have all the natural vitamins and minerals that come along with it, and prescription drugs mm-hmm. don't have any of that. Like, if mm-hmm. you were to compare... um dandelion root and furosemide or lasix which are both diuretics with the drug furosemide or lasix it totally depletes your body of potassium but dandelion mm. does not do that yeah. So, yeah
3: yeah another example of that is uh, like uh, jonathan brought up before the uh, white willow bark versus acetaminophen you know acetaminophen has the side effect of causing gastrointestinal damage um, because it is this kind of isolated um, part that's that's uh, that's been you know refined in some way, um, but if you actually take white willow bark, the herb, it has all kinds of cofactors in it that make it so it doesn't have that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. negative effect on the gut. So it's a, a, another good example right there.
2: Yeah, not to mention the yeah. negative effect on the liver. Yeah,
3: yeah. 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 Another it's example that with... comes
4: to my mind. Sorry, it's another example that comes to my mind is the uh, nicotine because. Mm. Um, the nicotine plant, the tobacco plant, it has a lot of medicinal uh, applications and uh, mainstream medicine has uh, done drugs, you know, to to take advantage of that, to treat kidney failure, to treat bowel inflammatory disease, and it doesn't work the same in its side effects. And then there's the tobacco plant, which is a plant, a natural remedy, which gets vilified and, um, there you go, and mm-hmm. we have these like 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 we reviewed on the on the show on tobacco, you know there's really all the control system has really really gone against the tobacco plant when it's really has been used for thousands of years for medicinal purposes,
0: yeah, yeah, it's the same thing also with um Cava. I don't know if people are familiar Mm. with, uh, or referred to as Kava Kava, but it's, it's basically just called Kava, um, Piper Nesteticum. I forget exactly how to pronounce it, but it's a, um, uh, you know, it's an anti-anxiety plant, uh, that the root, uh, is ground up and then ingested. And there's a big, um, every time you find this in a store, especially if you find capsules or something, it'll say that there's warnings, uh, for liver damage. Um, even that it can cause severe liver toxicity and even death which first of all is not true um it, it came out of a bunch of misguided studies uh, in in Europe in the 90s um but uh, something i thought was interesting about that in my own reading on it um is that uh the extracts the the root itself contains uh, glutathione and it contains enough of it mm. that it 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 um it enables your liver to properly detox the compounds that might otherwise block up those detox pathways. But then when they uh, extract the active compounds, what are called the lactones, and then put them into capsules, they leave behind the glutathione. And so you, c- you can get liver damage from taking too much of these capsules, but you really have to take a ton, like a ridiculous amount for anything like that to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's just another mm-hmm. example of, you know, they're trying to medicinalize sort of, quote-unquote, these things by making more, in their mind, more pure extracts in the lab, but they're leaving behind the compounds that nature has put together in order to allow the body to properly process these things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It seems to be the case with a lot of materials. Mm -hmm.
4: And learning learning about these herbs and and what are the medicinal applications, it also helps to diminish the control system because I have, you know, I have seen patients they have told me, like, okay, I have this information here. I went to the herbal shop and bought Arnica and Devil's Claw, and it went away. But it cost me like eight euros, you know, and they're all like, mm-hmm. what? They should be for free, you know, because they come to the control system, to the public health system. They can get ibuprofen for free, you know. So, yeah. So it's so, but when they learn, you know, all the side effects related with ibuprofen, when they can, you know, even seek um uh, under local area what is available in nature itself, but it also helps them to diminish the control system. So so then so people will start, you know, offering other options and you know, and maybe hopefully all these drugs will come to an end. <laughs> Or mm-hmm.
3: at least be properly prescribed, just for you know, um, acute emergency. Yeah, it's funny. yeah, like brought herbal medicine yeah. can be a, a, like a, it can be a tough sell because of that, because people do, um, you know, they, they, you know, your healthcare system might pay or your health insurance might pay for the pharmaceutical interventions, but it won't pay for natural stuff. So mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, these these natural remedies, herbal remedies, homeopathy, that sort of thing, um, it's a tough sell. Because uh, people are like, wait a minute, I have to pay out of my own pocket for this? And um, yeah. that ends up turning a lot of people off, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's sad to think that people will be so cheap that they yeah. wouldn't think that that's necessary for them to spend money on.
3: Yeah, yeah it's a good investment.
2: <laughs> yes. It's a good investment. Yeah. You have to
4: educate people and really like put them in a way that is really for your own benefit and for the benefit of the whole world.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah,
2: Yeah. well, that being said, too, I know that times are tough and people really don't have a lot of money, yeah. but sometimes you have to choose what's most important to you. I mean, what's the point of being sick? You can't enjoy your life, so you might as well spend a little money on some things that will help you.
3: Yeah, maybe not yeah. Uh, buy that Starbucks coffee every day and uh, invest that in your health.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think, it too, it, it takes the experience to prove that out to people, you mm-hmm. know, um, if if somebody hasn't gone through the process and f- actually felt what it feels like to feel good, then they mm-hmm. don't know, you know, they're, they're not, necess- they don't have that experiential backup of why it would be worth it. You yeah, know, I it's, think
3: it's, that's a really feel. good point.
0: You can tell yeah, them all you want no, to You'll, you'll
3: for, feel better.
2: There's a lot to be said for personal experience and actually knowing it, not just mentally, but physically for yourself. I think those mm-hmm. lessons are... Uh, much more valuable than just somebody telling you something
3: yeah I think in this day and age people don't even know what it is to feel good you know they think that all these little nagging symptoms that they have like their heartburn like the rash they've got like all these things that that seem like kind of little um, things that are just kind of a part of life um, they don't realize that these things really aren't necessary that, you know, a, a totally healthy human being doesn't have any of these problems, and these are things that can be dealt with. So, you know, they, they just all end up kind of building up, and they might go for um, their doctor's pharmaceutical intervention on some of them, but then that causes side effects. So I think, uh, I think Jonathan, that's a very good point, that a lot of people just don't have the the understanding of what it means to be healthy.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people see things that are common as normal. Just yeah. because they're common and a lot of people that you know have these certain experiences doesn't mean that it's a normal part of aging or getting old or being a woman or being a man or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's your your birthright, really, to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. What's I see that normal.
4: a lot. <laughs> I see that a lot. For example, in the 90s, when a person had multiple sclerosis, everybody was, like, shocked, like, like a lottery of bad luck, you know. And nowadays, mm. people refer to, oh yeah, I have multiple sclerosis, like like nothing, like having like a cold or something. It's like oh. yeah, <gasps> What's <your
1: reaction>? yeah.
4: <laughs> Jeez.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you know. Well, I'm sure we all do hear the uh, you know, it's just part of getting old kind of thing too. But I, I think that's a misnomer as well. You know, it's mm. you, your joints aren't supposed to feel like shattered glass in your forties. You're just yep. not supposed to feel that way. No. Yeah.
3: Or your brain's not supposed to degenerate, so you can't think anymore. All
0: right. Yeah. I know for for me, uh, my main problem used to be um, just inflammation of the joints because I had an awful, awful diet, really bad. Um, Mm. You know, tons of sugar, tons of gluten, uh, tons of dairy, cheese, uh, so pretty much just like the standard American diet, but I I just binge eat all the time. And uh, so I had tons of inflammation too in my joints and my neck was always really, really tight. And the first time I started even minimally correcting the diet and getting off of uh, gluten and moving, I mean, I was still eating a lot of carbs and stuff, but I was just trying to move away from gluten. The amount of improvement was so staggering that I was like, wow, you know, I had thought for years that it was normal to wake up with an aching neck every day, that was just kind of, you know, that was like my problem, and I just had to deal with it, which is not true. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was a negative result of uh, what I was doing to myself. So,
2: I'm going to speak on behalf of Erica. She's suffering in silence, but uh, she <laughs> wanted me to add in that if somebody wants to uh, take a look further, uh, there's an article on site called Nature's Painkillers.
3: Yeah, I just posted it in the, in the chat. Okay, oh, cool.
4: My diet has been clean for so long that I sometimes, you know, I get shocked, surprised, uh, you know, when I see another person, what they're eating. How does he do it, you know, and, you know, just survive normal day, you know, while eating yeah. all this stuff, you know, all that inflammatory
1: food, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: I think that is a testament to how resilient the human body is. I mean, it can take a lot of damage over time, but then at the end, it's just not pretty. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this is not to, um, certainly not to insult people's intelligence. I think there are a lot of really intelligent people that are still handicapped by this kind of thing um, because I, I think people, like when you said, how do people make it through the day? I think a lot of people struggle on a daily basis with just being able to think without tons of uh, noise, you know, like internal dialogue, um, anxiety, things like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, look at the explosion of um, anti-anxiety medications and, you know, how did that all come about? I don't think it was just modern society or just a fast-paced lifestyle. That certainly contributes to it. But I think a lot of it has to do with what we're putting into our bodies, Um, Mm -hmm. not only the The pollutants in the environment that we talked about last week, but, you know, the, um, diet that causes inflammation in the brain. And then you can be ostensibly a very smart, intelligent person and still have just a hard time thinking clearly throughout the day because of all the inflammation that's going on there. Mm So, um, I guess speaking of inflammation, Gabby, do you want to talk a little bit about some herbs for, uh, combating inflammation?
4: Yeah, there are a few of them, and they're really pretty good, for example Boswellia, um, which is also known as Frankincense, and in my memory, yes, in my memory file, in my memory file, this one is called Nature's Ibuprofen, you know. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: It has been burned as incense in religious and cultural ceremonies for centuries. It is widely regarded as a potent anti inflammatory nutrient, and its active ingredient inhibits the main inflammatory pathway in our body, which typically these inflammatory pathways related with joint pain, allergies, respiratory conditions, and cardiovascular problems. But um, speaking about your medicine that synthesized in the beginning it was used in traditional ayurvedic medicine for diarrhea ringworm boils fevers arthritis mouth sores uh, bronchitis asthma vaginal discharges hair loss jaundice and irregular menses, and so forth and i found this smallest extract from byron richard of the I think his blog, well, I forgot the name of his blog. Myron Richards, uh, it's called the article, Buswillia, an anti inflammatory with multiple talents. So he speaks about the association of joint pain and obesity. And uh, researchers know that extra weight, causing mechanical wear and tear and tears, is a problem. But um, they mostly forget that um, the common um, equation is inflammation because the inflammation causes both joint destruction and obesity. Mm. And the emerging culprit in inflammation and disinflammation is excessive amount of uh, what is called a lipopolysaccharide, which is generated by bacteria. It's the sheath of the bacteria of the outer outer wall. So people who are obese typically have imbalanced digestive bacteria, making larger than normal amounts of LPS, we propose And it enters the circulation and triggers inflammation and joint inflammation in general. And mm-hmm. a study shows that Boswellia can attach to this toxic LPS and prevent it from doing anything inflammatory in your body. Huh. So yeah, so this is a good one to try for those who are dealing with um, overweight issues and joint pain. Uh, but really, is a supplement I have taken with good results for anti-inflammatory purposes. And yes, it, I think it's one of the favorite ones uh, for our members as well. Do, do yeah. you the guys have experience with it? Um, no, I don't I have personal
3: a experience with it, but um, but but we sell it in the store that I work in, and and I've had good testimonials from it for sure um I think it's uh, it's it's very interesting that that was one of the well according to the uh the uh mm-hmm. jesus myth was uh one of the uh uh things that the three wise men brought uh to the birth of jesus uh frankincense mm-hmm. so that's how valuable it was considered back in the day mm-hmm. that's
4: nice yeah I always have it in stock so yeah. this is one was really, yeah. Uh there are several others. Um, for example Comfrey Root, which I think Jonathan was gonna cover more uh, in depth, but it's basically a favorite one for ankle ankle sprains, to reduce swelling after knee surgery, to heal fractures, um, to improve osteoarthritis symptoms. It has really potent anti inflammatory applications. Um, and the other one in general is um well turmeric. Which is well used for kind of you know kind of things, but uh, it's a powerful anti-inflammatory, and it was known as such in Chinese and Indian systems, and Indian systems of medicine. Uh, it has been researched, and it has um, it's demonstrated that it has significant anti-inflammatory activity, um, and especially the component of turmeric called curcumin, and um, and the curcumin, numerous studies, has uh, comparable effects as potent drugs, such as cortisone, you know, and it works better than um, ibuprofen as well. So this one is hmm. another one to keep in mind, turmeric. Then uh, there are several others, maybe the most known one also is ginger. It has very potent inflammatory compounds called gingerols. And um, many people with osteoarthritis or or arthritis experience reductions in pain and improvement in mobility when they consume ginger regularly. And uh, even people who didn't respond to conventional drugs, um, they were able to respond to ginger. Uh, physicians hmm. have found that 75% of arthritis patients and 100% patients with muscular discomfort experience relief of pain or swelling with ginger. So that's very good news as well. And uh, I mentioned, anecdotally, devil's claw and arnica, very popular for inflammation, for relieving really pain, stiffness of post-arthritis, uh, post-arthritis. Um It's comparable to anti-inflammatory agents and it's usually used in sports injuries swelling, sprains, soreness, and so forth. Calendula, also known as, um, I think, um, yes, marigold, am I right? Yes, marigold, calendula. Mm -hmm. It was used to treat, like, skin conditions such as eczema, blepharitis, which is an infection in your eye, but also gastritis and minor burns like sunburns, but also warts and you know, everything that is inflammatory in the skin. And it has been observed that it increases healing, um, the speed of healing. And it's, it has, you know, calendula, it appears it is due to its anti-inflammatory virtues. Uh Rosemary, which is a very good spice, you know, it also contains anti-inflammatory compounds. And in research, it has been re- uh, linked with reduced severity of asthma attacks. So I think those are the main anti-inflammatory ones. I think, yeah, I covered the main ones. There's really very good
2: options out there. Yeah, I really like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've tried ginger before, uh, back again in my sad diet days uh, for menstrual cramps. I didn't want to use ibuprofen anymore. So yeah. I would, I think it was uh, ginger tea I would drink if I had menstrual cramps, and it really did help
3: yeah we've actually got a question in the chat here where um Seamus is asking if nano curcumin is needed, or does standard curcumin do the job okay um i'll I'll just kind of say to that the thing about turmeric um is that uh, if you're just using it as a spice, um it's not the curcumin in there isn't the most absorbable thing. Um, mm-hmm. So you actually uh, you do to to really get I mean, you'll get some benefit from using turmeric, but to really get a good anti-inflammatory um, effect from it, you do need to kind of use an extract and whether that be an alcohol extract or some other type of extract, you do um, probably uh, need like to do a, maybe a tincture or um, some of the capsules that are out there that use uh, standardized extracts of some kind, um, whether or not nano curcubin is actually needed. Um, there is a, a, quite a, a few products on the market now that are using nano and we talked about this in a previous show. Um, it's kind of unknown at this point whether the uh, the use of nanoparticles is really a good thing. Um, certainly, mm-hmm. for some things, it's definitely dangerous. Um, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of research on using nanoparticles for um, herbal extracts. Um, I'm actually currently using nano-curcumin right now, and I haven't noticed any negative effect from it, and it does seem to work as a as an anti-inflammatory. So um, I know that doesn't really answer the question too much about nano, but uh, it's kind of unknown at this point.
2: Well, what about mm-hmm. taking turmeric with food? That's why there are so many curry dishes. But uh, mm-hmm. I've read that it's more observable with a fatty meal. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
4: That- Sayer G advocates for that. Sayer G is um, the guy, the director from greenmedinfo.com. And he says that it's much better, you know, it's a natural size with food. It really nature, you know, overrules, so
1: so to speak.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think with a fatty meal is definitely important because there are certain uh, compounds, maybe curcumin itself, I'm not 100% sure, but they're fat-soluble, not just water-soluble. So if you're doing Mm -hmm. a tea, this is actually a good point for all herbs, um, if you're doing a tea, you're only going to be able to get the water-soluble particles out of it. And with some herbs, with many herbs, that's actually enough. Like you, the, the, the active constituents are, are water-soluble. But with some herbs, um, you need to have either an alcohol extract or some kind of um, fatty um, uh, meal with it just because the, the fat-soluble stuff won't come out um in with just water. So I know a lot of people will will advocate using milk thistle tea, um just as an mm-hmm. example. Um but the the actual active component that actually helps with the liver, which is called silymarin, um is is fat soluble. It's not uh water soluble. So milk thistle tea isn't actually going to do much for your liver. Um what you want to do is either either a tincture or some kind of extract.
2: Mhm. point
0: yeah, I think pretty much everybody should be just eating turmeric every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If, if possible. Roger that. Plus, it's so good. <laughs> so tasty.
2: That's yeah. my favorite one. I
0: always yeah. say
2: turmeric. Do you all say turmeric or turmeric or how you pronounce it?
0: I, I go back and forth, honestly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. your person well, to say how it is pronounced. <laughs> Yeah, turmeric is definitely my favorite. I always said if I had a daughter I'd name her Turmeric. Turmeric yeah. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I like turmeric so much, I'll just interject with a personal story, but um my mother had some kind of weird growth on her shin. Uh we never got it checked out. and didn't have a biopsy or anything. It was small, like smaller than the size of a dime, but it had irregular borders. So that kind of raised my uh, red flags. So I told her to make a paste out of DMSO and turmeric and put it on that spot and then put a little bandage over it. And then after three days, she said it fell off. So huh. that's why I love great. turmeric.
3: <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Doing turmeric uh, topically can actually even be used for uh, melanoma. Um, yeah. Putting, you know, yeah, I don't know about, uh, yeah, so would probably work with it, but doing it, doing it topically is uh, is really good.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah. Melanoma, you said. You yeah, for melanoma.
1: Well,
3: mm-hmm.
4: That's interesting because a, melanoma is that. considered inflammatory. You know, uh, an inflammatory condition. Like, there is really inflammatory drugs used for mm-hmm. the treatment of melanoma. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Well, I've got uh, a little bit – Gabby had mentioned uh, comfrey there, and I've got a little bit of information on that. Um, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, first of all, I guess if people aren't familiar, uh, comfrey is also commonly known as bone knit, um, mm. and uh, it's a leafy plant. Uh, it's a perennial Um it's actually really easy to grow. Uh if you can get uh Comfrey seed or if you can get a plant from someone. Um, I've got one that's just been growing in a bucket for years. Uh it winters great and then it comes back in the spring. I barely even take care of it. Um, and it just keeps coming back full every year. So um, it's uh it's a really hardy plant. Um, but the uh <clears throat> just a little bit of background information. Um, the genus name of Comfrey Sym- how do we pronounce this here? Sympyton, mm-hmm. yeah, is derived from the Greek uh, sympho, to make grow, to make grow together, uh, "phyton" which means plant, and officinal, which means that this was the official medi- medicinal plant sold in apothecaries uh, and pharmacopoeias. Um, the common name comfrey comes from the Latin "confirma," alluding to the uniting of bones, and from the Latin confervere, to boil, or grow together, or to heal. Um, It's been used for many, many hundreds, probably thousands of years, but even in recorded history, um, it was actually in use in Greece in 400 B.C. Um, It was written out by historians like Herodotus, uh, Dioscorides, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, uh, the Greek physician, um, and even the, uh, let's see here, the contemporary of Dioscorides, uh, Pliny the Elder experimented with the, remote, with the roots and remarked that boiling comfrey roots in water produced a sticky paste which glued pieces of meat together.
1: Huh. Um,
0: oh. Yeah. And it's That's also... Uh, yeah. So if you, need to, if you need to glue your meat together... <laughs> you <need> to <laughs> um, We're
2: making fake steaks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I don't know, some of our listeners might be familiar with the name, uh, Paracelsus. He was a Swiss, uh, physician and, uh, some people say he was an alchemist. Um, but he wrote here and it's a, it's, this is in kind of, um, you know, not modern English, but uh, I'll just read with the quote here because it's kind of interesting. Um, to what purpose do you add vinegar to the root of comfrey? He asked his surgeons or bull, such like baleful additments. While God hath composed this simple sufficient to cure the fracture of the bones, hmm. so that's from uh Paracelsus from fifteen like the fifteen thirties a d um so anyway, you can see it's for many many years it's been used for these uh, purposes to for bone knit uh for knitting bones and also for uh anti inflammatory uses uh one of my favorite um stories about comfrey that i actually was able to find here um was a broken arm that was healed in five days um Hmm. so the son of a registered nurse in provo utah broke his arm so she rushed him to the hospital when the doctor x-rayed the arm he told him the bone was clean broken so clean that he would have to use a brace for a few days until the knitting started before applying a cast he told him to return in five days so the arm was bare um, so on arriving at home, uh, the boy's mother put comfrey poultices and fomentations around the arm and gave him comfrey tea, uh, comfrey green drink, comfrey tablets and capsules, and put comfrey into salads and steamed it as a vegetable. In fact, she got yeah. comfrey into him every way possible as she could bring him up on, on, was on very internally. <laughs> yeah. um, five days later, when she took him back to the doctor to get the cast put on, doctor took another x-ray and he said what have you done to this boy uh he proceeded (laughs) to announce that the the bone was knit together without even a hairline crack left wow that was after five five days from the corner and then social
2: services came and took him away
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: wow yeah that's definitely uh, something to keep in your first aid kit
0: yeah absolutely yep so there is some yeah, in,
3: uh, debate. What's that? No, I was just going to say that, interestingly enough, you can actually uh, – there's a homeopathic remedy of comfrey um, that's quite popular. Um, uh, it's just called Symphytum officinal, and it's uh, okay. yeah used for, for fractures and that sort of thing. So if you can't – you know, if you've got access to homeopathics, but you can't find the actual fresh comfrey, that's an option.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's some debate as to whether the leaves or the roots are more effective. Um, I would think basically both. uh, You would just want to use both in in equal proportions. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that uh, in the past I've made uh, tea out of the root, out of the dried root, which we can get from our local kind of health food co-op. They have it there. Um, It it makes a really nice, like foamy, thick, um, almost kind of a gummy tea. And I believe that that's the... uh, the compound uh allantoin, mm-hmm. uh which is the act, the active compound in Comfrey is called allantoin. Um mm-hmm. and that is what uh let's see here. allantoin is present in uh botanical extracts of Comfrey plant and the urine of most mammals. So huh. uh you can also drink mammal urine. <laughs> 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 uh, but it's uh it's, it's safe. It's non-toxic. There's some controversy over whether or not country is, um, is toxic, uh, and it's not, it's been proven, uh, to not be toxic. The, uh, basically the, what, uh, I'm trying to find this here and I'm having a hard time, but I had found a bit about the FDA's, uh, warnings on country which, uh, had maybe, uh, just, it's, it's such a, a staggering thing, I think, that they can, They use indications basically to say, well, this might be dangerous in a really certain Mm. specific set of parameters. Um, Mm. And yet, you know, all the prescription medications that we've been talking about pass through with flying colors. Um, Mm. All of the food additives that are in food are, are, you know, approved by the FDA. And yet at the same time, here's this natural plant that's been used for literally thousands of years. And they're like, well, it might be dangerous. Don't use that. Well, as far
2: as I'm concerned... The FDA can suck it. They've lost all credit <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Exactly.
0: Amen. <laughs> so that's that's comfrey. I could go on um, but uh it's uh it's used for a lot of different things. It it can be used for your teeth as well, just to add that in. Um and I have done this in the past myself, um basically steeping uh comfrey in a tea. And then putting drop putting in a little a uh, couple drops of DMSO and then swishing that in your mouth so that the DMSO acts as a carrier and takes the active compounds of the comfrey and drives it into your gums, um, so mm-hmm. that it, you know, you can use it to uh to strengthen your teeth in that way.
4: That's a that's a good one because it's a frequently asked question, like how do I prevent bone loss, you know, teeth loss, you know, and gum mm-hmm. issues. That's a
2: good one. Yeah.
1: So you yeah, take well, the can
2: tea and to, you mix it with DMSO and then you swish it in your mouth.
0: Yep, yep. And you try know, swallow it afterwards, it. or you can. Yeah, certainly. Um, it depends. I, I think it's just an entirely kind of personal thing um, because the DMSO, of course, you don't want to take too much internally. Uh, but if you're just using a couple of drops, then you can swallow it.
2: Do you know if you smell
4: after these After doing these? like the DMSO, that side effect of smelling like sulfur. Do people report, you know, a strange other smell after swishing DMSO with Comfrey Roots in your mouth?
0: Honestly, I'm not sure. I never noticed anything. Uh, in fact, I, I've, I've rarely even noticed the uh, the garlic sulfur smell from DMSO myself. I know other people have, um, but I've personally never had that experience.
2: It always smells like oysters to me. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, because the problem
4: is that the person doing the DMSO remedy doesn't notice, but other people notice a strange smell, so I wanted to know because Uh,
1: this is
2: an issue. Don't French kiss anybody afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, DMSO is is pretty incredible, but I've had a couple of... uh, experiences with that too, where I kind of overdid it, but it's just a, it's a fault of mine where I try to turn everything up to 11, but, uh, uh, a topical DMSO gel, um, that I was using for muscle soreness on my neck and I put too much on and it burned, it burned really bad. So I had to like run into Mm -hmm. the shower and rinse it off right away. So Mm -hmm. DMSO is definitely something to be careful with and basically just start with very, very tiny little drops um, for whatever application you're using it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's comfrey. Um, I guess, I also wanted to go over, uh, just quickly here, some, uh, liver and kidney herbs. Um, so of course, uh, you know, the, the liver, um, produces, uh, bile, uh, for the breakdown of, um, of waste, you know, during your, in your intestines. Um, and, of course, it has a lot of other functions, but not to go into too much detail on everything. Uh, and the, the kidneys, um, which form urine, uh, extract the waste from your blood, process your blood, clean it, and put it back in. So both of those organs are very important in uh, healthy function of the body. And um, I just have uh, a couple lifts, uh, a list of lists of some top herbs that are used. Um, these ones for kidney cleansing, uh, chanca Piedra. Or also called mm. stonebreaker is a favorite in South America for supporting kidneys. Um, goldenrod, hydrangea roots, horsetail, celery roots, uh, gravel roots, also known as joe pieweed, uh, that uh, has a long history of use by Native Americans. Um, uva ursi, also called bearberry,
3: mm-hmm. marshmallow
0: roots, uh, dandelion roots, uh, and parsley. Um, mm. So parsley is actually a, a kidney cleaner um, mm-hmm. and then some of the ones for uh, liver cleansing here boro boro bark says by far one of the most most powerful substances when it comes to liver cleansing and digestive system support um, mm-hmm. milk thistle, chunkka piedra also for the liver um, greater celandine I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce that. Um, But it says the ancient Greeks and Romans considered salendine to be one of the most powerful liver-cleansing herbs. Um, Mm -hmm. The famous French herbalist, Maurice uh, Messagu, used greater salendine for all liver problems, no matter what. Um, Chicory root, uh, dandelion root again. Uh, Turmeric, of course, which, you know, I think we'll come to discover turmeric can pretty much be used for everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Peppermint and organic yellow dock root. So those are the herbs that you want to look up if you're looking into, um, cleansing like the kidney or the liver. Um, and I know that, uh, in my own experience, um, when I had mentioned earlier that I had kind of overdosed on oregano oil and had this giant Herzheimer reaction, I got hives, uh, for a few weeks. And one of the things that I did, um, to treat those was to take a uh, nettle tea and, uh, nettle is also considered a, a cleanser for the liver, um. And I believe that basically just helped to flush the toxins out. And it did help. It was also a potent uh, anti-inflammatory while that was happening. I'd notice within like a half hour to an hour of drinking the tea that the itching from the hives would subside. Um, so that's mm. something to keep in mind as well.
3: Um, yeah. Um, so Chanka Piedra your, and uh, gravel roots actually um, are used for uh, kidney stones. Um mm-hmm. I know Chico oh, Piedra yeah. is, is uh yeah, Chica Piedra actually will break down calcium. Um yeah. and it, it, anywhere it's kind of uh, deposited. So it's 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 good for uh for kidney stones and so is gravel So um
4: that's a good one to have in mind because the kidney stone it produces the most awful pain ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Those yeah.
4: who had it, you know, they know what I'm talking about, so I know what
2: you have. In mind. Yeah. sounds like Chanka Piedra will be good for dissolving calcium deposits maybe in your arteries too I don't know I don't know. I haven't
3: heard of it used for that, but yeah, it wouldn't oh. surprise you yeah,
0: yeah, I wonder if you take it in combination with um with k two because that's vitamin k two yeah. is for moving calcium around the body, so you might be able to kind of double team mm-hmm. that oh.
1: yeah
0: well, um, let's talk about some lower herbs. Doug, do you want to do some anti-cancer herbs?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so just to kind of riff on cancer for a little bit, you know, we talk on the uh, the Kassapa forum a lot about like the the idea of like STS and STO. So STS standing for service to self versus um, STO, which is service to others. So I was just kind of like thinking about cancer the other day and how it's kind of like a like a a service to self disease. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like the cell, the the individual cell kind of takes it on itself to be, uh, to rather than, you know, work in cooperation with all the surrounding cells, it kind of like goes rogue and um, it's kind of this contractive force. Like it it, it diverts uh, resources from the rest of the body in order to grow itself. Um, It actually um, will secrete a substance that makes blood vessels attracted to it. So it'll actually like pull all the surrounding resources into to just feed the tumor um, mm-hmm. like actually diverting those those blood vessels um, just to like kind of feed itself it also has a corrupting influence on the surrounding cells um, it turns off its death mechanism so that it it, uh, it continues to live um, but it also has these these methods of kind of cloaking itself from the rest of the body's immune system so that it can't uh, the body can't actually uh, detect it um, operating in secrecy so I was kind of just thinking about you know maybe i'm going into kind of wacky territory here but it kind of like in order to kind of um combat this you kind of have to use more service to others type um, methods Mm -hmm. for for kind of uh uh, getting rid of these things um so that kind of requires being indirect in a lot of ways um you know if you think about the pharma methods which are basically like all-out warfare on the tumor you know like chemotherapy radiation it's all about kind of poisoning attacking uh, being very uh aggressive in kind of uh, mm. getting getting this thing um, and you know it, it ends up having a really detrimental effect on the body as a whole um, and I, you know if you think about the 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 kind of pharma industry it is very service to self it 's all about kind of getting money you know and by putting yourself into this like conventional methods for treating cancer you 're kind of putting yourself in this like um s t s hierarchy pyramid where you 're just kind of, kind of this this level where you're feeding money up in in this pyramid scheme, um, so yeah, like that, that that kind of method is is just more continuing the same kind of thing. Like you're using this kind of um, service to self method to try and get rid of this service to self disease, um, just becoming kind of a cog in that machine. So I was thinking about the uh, the opposite of that, and there's a lot of you know we talk a lot about the ketogenic diet, um, which is basically you know I won't go into too much detail, but it's um, changing the biochemistry of your cells so that it relies on fat for energy rather than relying on uh, carbohydrates. Um, and, you know, an, an ideally done ketogenic diet is much more conducive to a service to others type uh, environment just because, you know, you're, you're supporting a, um, a farmer that is, you know, if you're eating pastured animals like you should be, you're kind of... Um, supporting a farmer that is putting, um, more energy back into the land, you know, pastures, animals actually will build up the land rather than, um, stripping it of all its, uh, nutrients and ecosystem the way, uh, conventional farming does. Um, you know, you're, uh, you're supporting these small farms, um, which, you know, you're kind of putting money into that, that more, um, uh, you know, system that's more conducive to kind of, uh, giving back. Um, so I was mm-hmm. just kind of thinking about along those lines. Um I don't know, am I, am I in wacky territory there?
2: No, no I think great, it makes great sense. Yeah, yeah doctor uh what is his name? Simon or Tumancillo or whatever his name is some Italian doctor who wrote a or did a lot of studies about how cancer is a fungus. So basically what you're saying is, Doug, cancer is a psychopath hmm
3: yeah yeah that's a good way yeah. of putting it
2: or behave like one
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah very much so yeah um, but anyway all that being said like um, you know I, I think I do think that the ketogenic diet you know there's been a lot of um, preliminary research on using it for cancer and it does make a lot of sense you know cancer cells can't survive um, on fat because uh, they don't use mitochondria they do all their um, their energy, they would get all their energy from uh, sugar, uh, fermentation process. So by switching your diet to a fat, um, you know, using fat as the main source of energy, you're kind of um, starving those tumors. You're not uh, providing them with, uh, with the sugar that they need. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of herbs um, that can be quite helpful um, in conjunction with that. Um, so just to go through a few of those, uh, herbs from the Berberis family, um, and that c- includes berberine, um, golden seal, um, uh, Oregon grape. Uh, these are all, they all contain um, this uh, compound called berberine. Um, and it's a slow acting purgative. Uh, research has shown these herbs to have strong action against cancer, uh, and they've been used with many cancers, especially ovarian cancer. Um, in Cancer Watch March 2015, uh, the herb was shown in research to outperform brain cancer, uh, the brain cancer drug uh in vitro. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Codnopsis root is another good one. Um, it increases both the white blood cell and red blood cell levels. Um, so it can be extremely helpful to patients who are having chemotherapy and radiotherapy um, or uh, patients whose cancer diminishes, uh, diminishes levels of either. So um, that's a helpful thing, as well. Um, a rather controversial one, uh, graviola, otherwise known as uh, soursop. Um, the idea that Gra- graviola is an effective cancer fighter comes from uh, research at Purdue University um, back in 19, uh, Sorry, 1997. Uh, and the active components of the tree, unique substances known as onanaceous uh, acetogenins, um, They found that uh, it was a potent inhibitor of cancer cells while leaving normal cancer cells alone, saying that the compound has shown anti-tumor properties 10,000 times more powerful than adriamycin, which is a chemotherapy drug,
6: Um,
3: Mm. only it doesn't have any uh, side effects. Um, They also found the compound to be effective against drug-resistant cancer cells. So these are ones where... Um, that are incredibly difficult to treat with conventional conventional um, chemo treatment, uh, pancreatic cancer being one of the main ones, but also uh, lung cancer, breast cancer, and prostate cancer. Um, the controversy comes from these, uh, the fact that these were in vitro results. Um, so, yeah, they haven't actually done many um, in vivo studies where they're actually studying it on the person or on the animal itself. Um, it's all done, like, just testing you type tests for it so um mm-hmm. it's a long way from cl- clinical trials um i think what basically happened is that they they kind of tested this thing in vitro um then the pharmaceutical companies tried to uh make the compound or a version of the compound themselves and couldn't do it so kind of abandoned all research on it um and now you know they uh, for this reason all the all the kind of more conventional web pages you find about graviola is like oh there's no proof that it works and You know, you have to be very careful because there haven't been safety studies and all this kind of stuff. But there is a fair amount of anecdotal evidence. Um, But nonetheless, you know, these human trials don't exist. So I guess it is something that you should be kind of um, careful with. Um, Actually, as Gabby pointed out to me when we were uh, discussing this earlier, uh, graviola, the fruit itself, is actually quite high in sugar. So um, Mm -hmm. if you are attempting kind of a ketogenic approach to cancer, you might want to make sure you're getting an extract Rather than using the uh, the fruit itself, just because um, you'll be getting a lot of sugar with um, the rest of the uh, the, the medicinal compounds. So, yeah. mm-hmm. it is very yeah. really tasty, but it's a lot of sugar. Oh, oh, you've tried it? <laughs> oh
4: yeah, that grows everywhere in Costa Rica, where I'm originally from. But it's very, it's very tasty. Oh, it's delicious, but it's very sugary.
3: Yeah. Mm. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I know you can also use the tea, uh, the leaves and the bark for it. So that that might be a better option just because of that uh, that sugar issue. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's important
2: not, to stress, since you brought up the ketogenic diet, Doug, that that should hmm. always be the basis for anything because you can't out-herb or out-drug any kind of ailment. You always have to have a strong foundation with diet first.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. And
2: the other, the herbs can just be used to support.
3: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very true. Like that should be kind of your main mode of, of attack. Well, not to Mm -hmm. use, you know, the, the war terminology, but, (laughs) but that should be kind of your main, your main focus. And then these herbs are kind of just supplemental and can, can kind of help with that. Yeah. Um, Another couple, and I'll try not to go on too long about these, but there's a couple of um, Chinese medicine herbs that are, really good for the immune system. Uh, one is called Astragalus, and one is called Andrographus. And both of these are used um, not just for, uh, for cancer treatment, but um, uh, Astragalus, I know a lot of people who will take that kind of all during cold season. So kind of from October to March, they'll just uh, be taking Astragalus on a daily basis, just because it's an immune booster. And it will um, kind of uh, keep your immune system kind of on guard for any invaders, um, so it's, it's very helpful. And andrographis is one that uh, has antiviral properties as well. So um, if you actually do get sick, andrographis is a good one to kind of uh, combat that. Um, so, yeah, uh, astragalus actually increases interferon levels as well, as well as natural killer cell and T cell activity. So that's all your body's natural defenses against uh, tumors um, or tumor growth or irregular cell growth. Um, mm-hmm. So it's also really good for it was used in traditional Chinese medicine for uh, any kind of like chronic weakness, what they refer to as spleen deficiency. So like low vitality, fatigue, uh, diarrhea, um, spontaneous sweated, swell, uh, sweating, excuse me, uh, lack of appetite. Um, so it's good for just kind of bringing up your general vitality as well, which can be very low in any kind of uh, cancer situation. Um, it enhances immunity during uh, chemo treatment as well. So, it can help with any of those chemo side effects. It protects the liver, heart, and kidneys from these drugs as well. Um, The MD Anderson Cancer Center in Texas conducted research showing that taking astragalus when having radiotherapy doubled survival times. Uh, It's also a blood builder, has anti tumor activity, and helps with immune system deficiency. Uh, helps to identify rogue cells and inhibit platelet aggregation. And has also been used uh, with great results in AIDS research. Um, Andrographis, the second one I was talking about, um, another one with a long uh, history in Chinese medicine. Uh, It's an immune activating and cancer-inhibiting herb. It's been shown to inhibit the proliferation of cancer by causing differentiation-inducing activity upon dividing cells. found to be very helpful in stomach cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, lymphatic le- uh, leukemia, melanoma, and non hodgkins lymphoma. Um, yeah, there's a couple studies here, but I think I'll skip that just in I you know keeping things uh brief. Uh turmeric, once again, the wonder herb. Uh Yay. So
5: it it. <laughs> Yeah,
3: exactly. He's <laughs> lost the turmeric kids. Um so it actually helps DNA. Uh, it protects DNA against uh, oxidation uh, better than vitamin C, vitamin E, and beta carotene. Uh, it, in- it inhibits the pro-inflammatory processes in the body, um, including the production of arachidonic acid, which um, has a pro-inflammatory effect, um, as well as acting as an antioxidant and enhancing the production of anti-cancer immune cells. Um, I mentioned before, it's really, it shows amazing potential as a topical in cases of uh, melanoma and for oral precancerous lesions. Uh, and it s- seems to have a synergistic effect with EGCG, which is a, uh, a compound that's found in green tea, um, especially for kin- skin cancer. So if you were to do a poultice of a combination of turmeric and green tea, you'd probably be doing, uh, really great things for any kind of skin cancer. Um... Schizandra berry, uh, another really good one, particularly good for all the effects that kind of come with cancer. So again, it's kind of a restorative remedy. Uh, It does enhance immunity, Uh, but it's also been found to increase your work capacity, your exercise capacity, your mental capacity. Um, They found it helps vision and your adaptability to darkness, um, as well as helping with other environmental stressors. Um, It's a stimulator for the central nervous system uh enhances both mental and physical capabilities. Uh, good for any kind of exhaustion, fatigue, insomnia, weakness, depression, uh, forgetfulness. Also very good for the liver. Has protective effect from the liver. Um, it's a detoxifier both for chemo and radiation, antitoxic and antioxidant. Um, and it has a protective effect on the liver. I think I mentioned that actually. Um, and been found to be helpful in liver cancer. Um, lastly, green tea. Another great one. Um, it provides protection against um, many of the major categories of carcinogens, so both direct and indirect physical carcinogens and tumor promoters. Um, it uh, blocks abnormal cell growth, uh, slows down the production of hydrogen peroxide, which is a pro-oxidant. Uh, uh, enhances the immune system, and interestingly enough, a lot of people are kind of like not into green tea because of the caffeine that it has, but uh, caffeine mm-hmm. actually has anti-cancer properties on its own. Um, it induces cell death in cancer cells and enhances the effects of radiation in some chemotherapy drugs. So, yeah, yay caffeine. Um, <laughs> the poly- polyphenolic compounds, uh, EGCG, uh, show chemopropaginitis preventative activity in animal models and in human epidemiological studies. So what they've done is done studies of populations uh, that drink green tea and uh, looked at populations that don't and found lower uh, cancer rates. Now, you know, epidemiological studies can never be used to show causation because there's just simply too many co-founding factors, but it's still interesting nonetheless. Um, and recent studies show that green tea is, has an inhibitory effect on stomach cancer. And the authors of that study actually recommended everybody drink green tea um, simply as a preventative um, to to kind of help against uh, protect against uh, stomach cancer. So, hope that wasn't too uh, long winded <laughs> and boring <laughs> boring list there.
2: It's good stuff. We should all learn this. <laughs> Yeah. Are there some concerns or maybe I'm uh, mixing up green tea with something else but about green tea and fluoride content or does it just depend on the the type of green tea that you're using?
3: There is some concern. Um I think it does depend on um what type and where it's coming from. Um mm-hmm. I don't you know what I don't know though is is like I know that the fluoride that has a detrimental effect is is the kind of like Industrial waste that they're putting oh, into wow. water yeah, supplies. Yeah. So it's more mm-hmm. of a natural form of fluoride. So I don't know if that really has the same uh concern associated with it. um okay. But yeah, I, I I think you know it, it is something to keep in mind for sure. Well,
4: mm-hmm. it, it is still interesting that they have good results with green tea, regardless of its origin. So that's another yeah. thing to keep in mind.
3: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I'm generally not a green tea drinker, but, you know, after reading this, I'm kind of thinking maybe I should start.
4: Yeah, I don't like the flavor, to be honest, but yeah, I'll think about it. I'll
2: try it out. <laughs> yeah, I prefer spicy teas.
3: Yeah, maybe uh, maybe doing a mix. Put uh, the yeah. green tea bag in with, uh, in with another flavored tea and drink it okay. that way. Okay,
4: perfect solution. Add some ginger <laughs> to it. That's it. <laughs> yeah.
3: Perfect. And you get anti-inflammatory effects, too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. So we're going to go to uh, some antiviral herbs? Yeah, I think so.
3: Seems like maybe we've lost Jonathan here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you maybe launch into it kidnapped. there, Ted? Yeah, yeah maybe.
2: <laughs> well, I was just going to talk a little bit about garlic and some other antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial, immune-boosting herbs or herbs, depending on where you're from. Um, uh, There's been a lot of research on garlic uh, as an antifungal agent. A lot of the antifungal properties of garlic have been attributed to a phytochemical called allicin, and that's produced when raw garlic cloves are crushed or chopped. So if you're going to fix a dish with uh garlic, uh, when you chop or crush your garlic, let it sit for several minutes, like 10 to 15 minutes, and that will increase the amount of allicin that it produces. Um, so garlic has been used to treat acne and conditions like uh candida yeast in parts of the body. Um, let's see. Oh, garlic also has antioxidant vitamins and minerals. Uh, it has vitamin C, zinc, and selenium and there's been some studies that show that garlic is capable of killing bacteria uh, much the same way as penicillin does. so it can be used to treat infections or um, like if you have an infection that's not responding to a particular antibiotic, you could try garlic um. <laughs> And the most important thing in my book about garlic is that it's effective against vampires, but I couldn't couldn't find any scientific studies reporting that. So (laughs) Uh, garlic is really good. I just we have um, pickled garlic here in the house and just Ah. eat it like whole cloves of garlic. It's really delicious. Wow. And I'm—I've never had any like that garlicky smell, like body odor afterwards. Maybe I just didn't notice, but it's really good.
3: Yeah, I think it's one um, of those things that you don't notice, but the people around you might.
2: <laughs> well, no one yeah. ever said anything, I So I guess maybe they're just being polite.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah.
2: Um, the next one I have is Paul DiArco. Am I saying that right, Paul DiArco?
3: I've heard it pronounced that way, or Paul Darko, or.
2: Pau d'Arco, okay, mm. yeah, that sounds better. It kind of flows off your tongue a little better. Um, but it's a big uh, evergreen tree It's native to South America. Um, they use the inner bark of the tree. Uh, that has the medicinal properties. I had some Pau d'Arco once, and it does kind of look like little wood chips. So
1: mm-hmm. you
2: can uh, boil it down and drink it as a tea. Um, the active chemical in polydiarco is um, and that's responsible for the antibacterial, antifungal, antiparasitical, and antiviral effects. Um, it inhibits uh, certain enzymes in whatever critter you happen to be uh, populated with. Um, there have been some studies on polydiarco that says it's just as effective as ketonazole, which is an antifungal drug. It's just Mm. as effective as that in treating vaginal yeast infections caused by candida. And it's Mm. been uh, shown to be effective in fighting um, fungal infections like athlete's foot, jock itch, and warts. Mm. Um, We already talked about oregano oil, so just remember Jonathan's tale. uh, (laughs) Not to overdo it on oregano oil, but um, the active ingredients in that are uh, terpenes and thymol, And you can use that topically as well for fungal infections. Um, You can inhale it uh, like steam inhalation for sinus infections. Um, We talked about turmeric. I don't think there's much more good things that I can say about it. Um, It reduces viral and microbial replication and can halt the spread of microbes to other cells in your body. It also has uh, potassium and manganese, which is uh, boosting to your immune system. Um, also, like if you want to increase the bioavailability of turmeric, um, besides adding it to a fatty dish, um, research, research has shown that if you eat it with black pepper, it increases the bioavailability up to a thousand times. Wow, that's yeah, that's a lot. Um, one, if you if you have worms or some other kind of parasite. You can use it. Um, this is a shrub that's native to Europe, Northern Africa, and Western Asia. And they use the flowering tops of this. Um, an interesting thing about wormwood is that it's been used to make vermouth, white wine, and the the old drink called absinthe that mm-hmm. people used to drink in the 19th century and get like totally blasted on it.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a hallucinogen, isn't it?
2: Vermouth. Yeah. Uh, If if you drink it for long periods of time, you can get, like, totally addicted to it and it can be toxic and lead to death. So don't, you know, drink any absinthe. Um, (laughs) But it's effective against intestinal parasites, and it can be used as an insect repellent. Um, You can Mm -hmm. mash up some wormwood leaves and mix it with apple cider vinegar, uh, put it on a cloth and, like, rub it on your skin. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has uh, ingredients in it called... azolines and sesquiterpene lactones, um, which are anti-inflammatory, anti-tumor, and anti-insecticide. Black seed, uh, I think it's also called black cumin. Um, Mm -hmm. That's effective against helicobacter pylori. So we were talking about the proton pump inhibitors and uh, GERD and stomach acid. So you might want to try black seed if you're having a little bit of problem in that area. Um, it's also good against MRSA.
5: It oh, yeah. stimulates
2: the production of bone marrow interferon, and it just generally builds the immune system and has anti-cancer effects. And uh, the last uh, one, yeah, go ahead. i was
3: just going to say about the uh, the black seed oil. Apparently, there's a, I don't I don't know where this is written, but apparently the Prophet Muhammad at some point said about black seed that yeah, it cures yeah. everything except death.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've actually taken uh, black seed tea. It comes in, like, these Mm. chunky black things, and I kind of, like, use a mortar and pestle and kind of break it up a little bit and then make it into a tea and strain it. Mm. It doesn't taste bad, and you can see, like, little fat droplets, so it has, like, Uh a nice little fatty acid uh, component to it. Wow. Um, But the last one that I have is black walnut, I don't know if anybody's seen black walnut tree, but these little green, little globey things hanging off of it—that's the the black walnut. It has a black—I mean, it has a walnut on the inside. Mm. But the hull of the the black walnut contains something called juglone, and that is uh, what's responsible for the medicinal properties. Um, this is this one is also good for intestinal worms like tapeworm, hookworm, roundworm. Uh, uh, veterinarians use it to treat heartworm in dogs. Um mm-hmm. It can be used as a heartworm preventative, and it can also repel fleas and ticks. Um, one thing that I used it for, and I'm not sure, like uh, there's a the black walnut, but then there's one, like, slightly bigger, and it kind of looks like a brain. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's black walnut, too, but either one of those. um They say if you put that in a corner of your house, it can repel, like, spiders and you know little critters really yeah i made the mistake there yeah i put it in some place in my house and forgot about it and then i came back a while later it was just this like dirty black rotting ball so if you use it for that just just don't forget about it just don't put it behind your couch or something where you can't see where it is because you'll come back to a really nasty surprise did it
3: work?
2: Well, I didn't see any spiders or anything, but I'm not sure. I'll try it again.
1: <laughs>
2: so that's all I got as far as uh, antiviral, antiparasitical. I mean, there are just so many herbs. We could go on and on and on all day about herbs. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, it like was you were saying at really the beginning of the baby. show. Yeah. yeah well they all they, all these herbs have so many different properties too like it's like it's mm-hmm. not like one herb is for one thing. it's like one herb can be used for so many different things yeah. Oh. yeah great, okay, well, do we have time for me to go into medicinal mushrooms here, or
2: yeah, a little magic mushroom action? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the hallucinogenic kind, but uh mm. as far as uh health. <laughs> Mushrooms um, are pretty amazing things. Um, a lot of this research uh, that I'm going to kind of summarize here is coming from a guy named Paul Stanitz, and he's kind of like the master mushroom researcher, um, a, a mycologist, as they're called. Um, mm. Yeah, he's, uh, he does academic research um, as well as actually going out into the field, like into rainforests and stuff to look for new species, which he's actually found new species of mushrooms. Um, he studies farming methods, Um, But he's also kind of like, he's using all these different things he's finding out to come up with what he calls fungal solutions for global problems. So he does Mm -hmm. things like uh, augmenting conventional therapies in integrative medicine with mushrooms. Um, He pioneers strategies to counter colony collapse disorder, which I don't know if you've heard about that, but uh, it's the issue where uh, the bees are kind of uh, dying off by the millions, billions maybe, um, where their, their colonies are just kind of uh, disappearing, they're just uh, they're just dying out. Um, so he's come up with kind of these uh, um, using mushrooms in ways to kind of help them. Um, he also uh, uses mushrooms for protecting biodiversity, developing microfiltration methods to clean water, uh, investing in uh, micro-remediation technologies to break down and neutralize toxic wastes. Um, uh, he has come up with a method for replacing toxic pesticides with non-toxic, non-invasive, non-invasive myco remedies so like mushroom remedies. And that's really interesting. We actually had a, an article up on SOT about how he's got this patent out right now that apparently is scaring all these uh, you know, pesticide companies because it's this really effective method of using fungus that doesn't hurt the crop at all but really kind of takes out the, uh, the pests that are trying to get at them. So looking forward to kind of more information as as research on that comes out. Um, he also builds soil with beneficial fungi, um, aiding forest ecosystems and agriculture. And uh, he's also helping to research uh, mycelium and bacteria-based biofuels. Uh, he's a pretty amazing guy to hear talk. Uh, he has a TED Talk that is available on uh, YouTube. So, um, yeah, I would definitely encourage kind of listening to him just because he is Um, Such an interesting guy to hear to hear speak. He's extremely passionate um, about mushrooms. Uh, What is his name
4: again? Sorry?
3: His name is is Paul Stamets. Yeah, it's Paul Stamets. So Stamets is just S-T-A-M-E-T-S. Paul Stamets. Very amazing guy. Um, So his premise is kind of that uh, the mushroom mycelium connects the immune systems between humans and the environment. Now the mycelium is um, so you know when we think of mushrooms we think of these like um, you know little toadstool shaped things um, mm-hmm. that's, that is what's commonly referred to as the fruiting body um, but actually the mushroom spans uh, underneath the ground it has these these networks that are called mycelium and they're only like these thread thread like kind of um, networks that span it can span for miles underneath the surface. Wow. Um, and they have these uh pretty amazing um like an immune system that uh can deal with any kind of pests that come after it under under the ground um so yeah like the what we see of the mushroom is actually only a very small part of the mushroom that's kind of its reproductive organ, but um the majority of it is actually the mycelium underneath the ground um, and they actually I did like, not you know, know one, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And like when the yeah. mycelium meets um, underground, that's when they actually have their kind of reproductive state, like the two mycelium meet. And then that's how that's when it forms a fruiting body and uh, and gives off seeds. Um, okay. So this is another interesting thing. Mushrooms apparently share more DNA with humans than plants share with humans. Um, okay. And St- Stamets actually thinks that that's why they're so medicinally effective, because, you know, you think about it um, because they share so uh, a lot of their DNA with us, they actually deal with a lot of the same microbial pathogens that we do, but they've had such a long evolutionary history, like much longer than ours, so they've actually developed these compounds that can deal with these um, microbial pathogens, uh, which, you know, can defend them, and we can actually use those medicinally to defend ourselves because they, they're the same pathogen. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah. They, mushrooms have kind of a, uh, like a positive correlation with different systems in our, in our bodies. So just as a couple examples, reishi uh, mushroom is, uh, has an affinity for the cardiovascular system. Uh, chaga mushroom is very high in antioxidants and can help with detoxification. Uh, turkey tail has an affinity for the immune system. And lion's mane, which is really cool, and I don't know if you've ever seen lion's mane mushroom, but it actually does look like a lion's mane. It has, like, these little thread like <laughs> things that kind of hang off it. Um, mm. It's really good for the brain and the nervous system and actually can uh, mm. help grow new nervous system cells. Um, so, yeah, mushrooms are also helpful with um, the digestive system, neurologic system, immune system, reproductive system, uh the skin, the skeletal okay. system and the muscular system.
4: Look yeah, we have a question so you can get well, a couple of questions from a chat. Oh, okay,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh he says Moriarty claimed that enzymes they used with the vis oil would reclaim soil. I wonder if those enzymes have a mycelium fungal basis or how we uh, heard about it
3: i I don't know, I'm not familiar with uh with Moriarty's stuff, but I mean that it wouldn't surprise me because there is a lot of active um enzymes in uh mushrooms and particularly in the mycelium um and they yeah that that could very well be the case like they do that that is um what provides a lot of the medicinal benefit to us, but that might mm-hmm. be what's being used to uh because I know Paul Stamets is looking into. You know, converting toxic wastes by using uh, fungi. So could very well be.
4: Well, need the reality check is because I always dislike mushrooms, but I'm going to look into mm. this. I posted the uh the TED link, full things mm. on six ways mushrooms can save the world in the chat.
1: Yeah, oh And great.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. The other question is, um, well, a chatter is saying that is there anything you think to using mainly local herbs? as opposed to herbs imported from far away, sort of like a 100-mile herb diet? For example, herbs from your climate may be more effective? Yes.
3: Yeah, um, I think so. Uh, there is some evidence that, you know, it it, it you, you can kind of look at it in a way, I mean, this might not be like totally scientific, but the idea is that kind of these herbs have grown up in the same environment that you have. So you're kind of... Um, sharing an environment with them, so the defenses that they've made up against kind of whatever pathogens might be there or the pollution that's uh, that's there, um, that's going to be there. Uh, you know, you're sharing that same environment, so you're exposed to the same sort of, sort of things. So um, intuitively, I would say yes, and I have heard people say that in the past that you know that's that's the benefit of eating locally as well that um you know you you kind of share the same environment so even more kind of um esoteric things like your like the weather and um other kind of environmental things could certainly um you know that that these these plants might um because they they have these protective capabilities for themselves that might be conferred to people as well so i'd say yes i don't know what do you think abby
4: I think that is the case it reminds me of the example of treating allergies with local remedies because it's mm. the same you know like the same allergies you uh the same allergies from your local environment and like erica says here now in, in our chat uh local herbs also infect gut microbes and mm. yeah gut microbes is also local environment
2: so
3: yeah yeah it can also yeah, be that's like a really a just
2: even more practical because if you're buying locally you, know, you don't have to wait for the herbs to ship to you and they've been dried. So you can buy them locally and they're fresher and you can use them mm-hmm. immediately. I mean, fresher is always better. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I lived in California for a little while and we had wild rosemary growing all over the place. And I would just go out into my backyard, grab some rosemary, go back inside, chop it up, put it in my meal. So yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay what was i going to go into here um oh yeah uh so stamets has actually uh done some research on using the um using mushrooms for uh increasing uh our immune uh response and he found that actually using multiple species of uh, mushrooms was more beneficial than just using one Uh, and there's actually a published study from 2003 it's called uh, potentiation of cell mediated host defense using fruit bodies and mycelium of medicinal mushrooms. So if you're interested in reading some academic research on this, um, you can find that study. Um, pretty interesting stuff and um, one, uh, so I'll just list off some of the, like mushrooms are pretty amazing things. Um, so I'll just give a bit of a list here of all the different things, all the different properties that they have. So. They're antibacterial, anti-candida, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, anti-tumor, anti-viral. They help with blood pressure. They're blood sugar modulators. Uh, They have cardiovascular benefits, cholesterol reducers, um, immune enhancers, kidney tonic, liver tonic. Uh, They help with the lungs and the respiratory system, nerve tonic, sexual potentiator, and stress reducer. Now, not every species of mushroom is going to have all of these um, properties. But uh there's a few that are kind of the kings of it. Reishi is probably the king, the king of the mushrooms, because it um it gets checked off in all these different categories except for sexual potentiator. So if you have any issue other than uh your sexual potential, um Reishi <laughs> is a mushroom for you. <laughs> um an- another great one is cordyceps. And cordyceps is a really weird mushroom. I don't know if you if you know about this one, but it's actually the spores inhabit um, uh, caterpillar larvae, and then they kind of just take over and they kill off the the caterpillar, and it, the mushroom actually grows straight out of its head. Um, oh. And then you kind of collect that mushroom, and uh, and that's that's then used medicinally. And it it has amazing um, properties as well. Uh, it doesn't get checked off in the anti-candida or anti-inflammatory section, but it does on all the rest of these. Um, these days, they tend to grow it um, on uh, like uh, like a bed of rice or something like that instead of <laughs> growing it out of the caterpillars, just because there's uh, you know cross contamination <laughs> possibilities and stuff. And I think yeah, I don't want it.
2: any caterpillar DNA in my mushrooms. Thank you very much.
3: <laughs> there is the ick factor involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, other good ones: shiitake mushrooms, which is is great because it's actually used in cuisine quite a bit. Um, so that's another really kind of super mushroom that has a lot of these, uh, different categories. Um, oyster mushrooms, another one that, uh, really good for, um, a lot of this different stuff. So, so there's all these different kinds of things. And I mean, just adding mushrooms to your diet would be helpful, but you can also supplement with them. Um, you know, you can find a lot of the different extracts and stuff.
4: I think I'll research the supplements first because if I (laughs) just take a poisonous (laughs) mushroom for a medicinal one, that could end badly. (laughs)
3: Yeah, in fact, that's something we should say that like if you're if you're going to go out mushroom hunting, you should have somebody fairly experienced with you um, Mm -hmm. because it's easy to make a mistake and then kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, just (laughs) lastly here, I'll say that the uh, mushrooms are have been researched a lot in um, cancers. Um, so there's a lot of great research out there um, showing um, mushroom being effective against uh, cancers. And I, as I said before, using multiple mushrooms is probably the best strategy, but there are certain ones that are associated with certain cancers. And I won't go into it too much because it'll be just me reading a list of things, but breast cancer, cervical cancer, colorectal cancer, stomach cancer, liver cancer, like there's whole all, all different kinds of cancers. Um, they've all had some, uh, you know, evidence that um, these mushrooms are actually helpful for them. Okay. So if you're interested Another in that, question. it's worth some research.
4: Another question from a chatter. Uh, is kombucha tea a mushroom?
3: No. No, it's not. It gets referred to as um, uh, a mushroom, but uh, it's, actually, it's actually not. It's a yeast, uh, a collection of yeast. It kind of looks like a mushroom. I think that's why people call it that. But it's not, it's mm-hmm. not actually a mushroom. It's a, it's a type of yeast.
4: Well, that was great information. i It really, really piqued my interest. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah, it's a really so good idea to watch the guys sugar talk. And Erica says there's lots of sugar in kombucha, too, so you have to be careful.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay, So are we ready well, for the health-
1: pet health segment?
3: I think yeah, we are. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Let's
6: hear some oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Today I'm going to share with you a story about a wonder drug from the natural source developed by a Russian scientist. The story begins with one key discovery. In 1941, academician Filatov established the doctrine of biogenic stimulators, which are formed in each cell of an isolated living tissue in disadvantaged circumstances. That is, a cell, as a result of the struggle for survival, releases liquid biogenic stimulators. And after their acclimatization to severe surrounding conditions, they are subjected to biochemical reorganization in metabolic systems, forming substances capable of uh, to render stimulating influence and to accelerate vital processes when uh, administered by an organism that's why those substances have been named biogenic stimulators they are capable of strengthening metabolism they enhance uh, physiological functions of the body raise natural uh, resistance and regenerative properties and also promote recovery now In 1943, several laboratories across USSR received a secret government order to develop a a new generation of medicine. This drug was supposed to protect humans and animals against radiation to significantly improve the immune system, but also uh, be affordable for mass production. Many research groups have have not been able to cope with this task. Only one institute, All Union Institute of Experimental Veterinary Medicine in 1947 was able to present a developed drug that met with all the requirements. The laboratory, headed by a talented experimenter, Dr. Dorogov, used in its work an unconventional approach. For the raw material, frogs were used, and the method of processing was thermal distillation of tissues with condensing fluids. The prepared liquid had antiseptic wound healing and stimulating properties. The drug is called ASD, that is an antiseptic stimulant of Dorogov. As I said, originally Dorgov used frogs, but later he began using meat and bone flour or powder. And there was no difference in the resulting properties because the heat of the thermal stimul- uh, sublimation Erased the information about what kind of organism has been selected as a raw material. The first fraction uh, that was obtained is in fact simply water and did not have a biological value. The subsequent fractions, second and third, proved to be soluble in water, alcohol and fat uh, substances with unique properties. It is the ASD fraction 2 and fraction 3 that are being used for treatment of humans and animals. The drug is being comprised from many chemical substances with very complicated names, but as an example. It contains, for example, uh, carboxylic acids, aliphatic and cyclic hydrocarbons, uh, substituted phenols, uh, aliphatic amines and amides, compounds with active uh, uh, sulfhydryl uh, group and water. Why the drug is called the wonder? Well, because as it uh, turned out, it could assist with healing absolutely everything, even hard cases and even cancer. For example, ASD fraction 3 is used only for external use. Experiments have shown that the drug effectively destroys various fungi, skin parasites, disinfects the wound. In addition, ASD 3, officially used only in veterinary medicine, has shown excellent results in treatment of various skin disorders, such as acne, eczema, dermatitis, uh, atopic dermatitis, uh, ulcers. Uh, Moreover, the ASD3 effectively helped even with psoriasis that at the time had no successful treatment. The experiments were actually carried out on people, volunteers. ASD fraction two was diluted with water-based solution and was used as an internal and external medicine. Experiments on animals have surpassed all expectations. The treatment of various diseases has been highly effective and had no side effects. The most successful result, uh, results were achieved using ASD2 in combination with other drugs. I have a personal testimony regarding treating my pet rat with ASD2. He is already an elderly, and I started to and he started to have bald patches, particularly around his neck region. Obviously, ticks and other creatures were ruled out first and also he was giving antihistamines uh, for a period um, and such. But nothing helped. And then I applied uh, several times ASD fraction 2 on the region, uh, taking into account that he would probably try to lick it. And surprise, surprise! Shortly after, a new hair started to grow and my pet is all okay. But this drug can be used not only in case of skin problems. There have been a huge number of trials of ASD2 for the treatment of a number of pathologies of organs and systems. ASD2 proved to be extremely effective for the treatment of asthma, against which the medicine at that time uh, has not yet found effective means. With the help of volunteers, effects of ASD2 on humans were also tested. As a result of the impact uh, of the drug on the body, normal functions of various systems were restored like the endocrine, immune, nervous, and other systems. Apparently, it heals varicose veins. Also, prolonged use of the drug helped to improve the elasticity of the skin and tissues, basically give the effect of rejuvenation. In the field of uh, gynecology, ASD2 proved uh, to be most effective, healing all kinds of uh, gynecological diseases. It assisted with healing fibroids, uh, breast cancer, and diseases of the uterus. Well, as you may suspect, many in the medical world understood that this powerful drug is a big competitor to traditional methods of conservative treatment. Also, many medical doctors were offended that the veterinarian developed a drug that may help humans too. Many people at the top uh, tried to stop Dorogov, offered him large rewards to stop further studies of ASD. They wanted him to either remove his name from the name of the drug or add names of other medical doctors. He was even accused of a crime, but later acquitted of trying to commercially sell the drug, while in reality in many cases he was offering it to people he knew for free. Big heads in the government still continue to try and cause trouble to Dorgov by accusing him that his drug is dangerous and may cause deaths in humans. And not only there was not even one death, no matter how they tried to find it, but stories of success were coming from everywhere. They authorized extensive experiments of prisoners, especially on those sick with tuberculosis and it greatly reduced the percentage of deaths. In 1952, the drug was officially recognized and became really popular in Moscow. At the same time, they continued to test its properties. Dorgov paid a heavy price for his discovery. He had to fight and withstand attacks from many who envied him and wanted to take credit for his work. In 1954, he had a heart attack and also dismissed from the Institute of Veterinary Medicine. Despite his pleas, he wasn't allowed to get his job back. Even despite the fact that he was awarded the state prize for his invention. About a year after the dismissal, his laboratory was disbanded. The scientist died in the autumn of 1957, before the age of 50 years. One of the sites in English that says they even claims that he died in a suspicious car crash, but I'm not sure if those claims are true, because they didn't even write the age of the scientist correctly. Now, until this moment, there are claims that Dorogov's creation is nothing but pseudoscience, something akin to alchemy. His daughter, Olga, who continues his work, claims that there is nothing pseudo in his drug because it is based on the same principles as other accepted methods of treatment. Dorgov believed that just as charcoal has sorbent properties, products of organic PPK can serve as deactivators and thus prevent harmful effects on the body. So, if the drug is so wonderful, why it wasn't approved until now? and is being used only in veterinary field and primarily in dermatology? Well, knowing how big pharma works, we can pretty much figure out the answer to this question. So to summarize, the drug is not uh, by chance has a double name, antiseptic stimulant. In the title uh, lies the essence of the impact of the drug on the body, a pronounced antibacterial effect combined with adaptogenic function. ASD is not rejected by a living cell as it corresponds to its structure. It crosses the placental barrier and does not cause side effects. It restores hormonal balance, normalizes the peripheral nervous system, increases the body's resistance to various harmful influences. Basically, it is classified as tissue biogenic stimulator. It can be used both in animals and humans, while in humans primarily ASD fraction 2 is being used. ASD-2 is not fighting germs, but increases uh, the body's resistance and defenses. So they will do their job in the best way possible. Immunomodulary properties of ASD are based on the fact that the drug can be easily integrated in the metabolic processes of the human body, restore the normal functioning of cells for optimal operation of all the body systems. There are various sites, although primarily in Russian, that have specific uh, treatment protocols with ASD2 to, uh, for various diseases. The only problem with this drug is that it has an absolutely horrible, strong and stinky smell. And I am not exaggerating. Apparently, they try to remove the smell, but unfortunately it is unavoidable because removing the smell also removes its biogenic functions. Well, this is a small price to pay to, uh, for something that has more advantages than disadvantages. In any case, I myself never tried it, but read a lot of testimonies from people who were able to heal you, uh, all kinds of diseases using ASD2. But what's for sure, you can try it on your pets, but also following instructions. Well, this is it for today. Hope it was interesting and have a nice day. <coughs>
2: Thank you, Zoya. Yeah, thanks for that, Zoya. Um, I guess we can move into our recipe of the day now, since Jonathan is kind of incommunicado at the moment. I will share the uh, uh, Four Thieves oil. Um, just a little history of it. Um, the Four Thieves were spice traders and merchants, and they imported spices from India. And uh, the Black Plague hit, and all trade was shut down. So the thieves needed to find a way to support themselves. Um, so during the Black Plague, there are a lot of dead bodies, and the thieves uh, thought it was a good idea that they would go into people's homes and loot them and take their clothes and jewelry and pots and pans and then barter them for food or money. So they thought they wouldn't get sick if they rubbed vinegar, oils, and certain spices on their body. And I guess it worked because they didn't die, but the king found out about it and demanded that they give up their secret recipe. So oh, there's, uh, about <laughs> yeah, there's about four or so recipes, but I'll just share one. Um, so what you want to do is get your oils, let me find where they are, <laughs> uh, okay, the first recipe is um, clove essential oil, so you want to use 40 drops of clove essential oil, 35 drops of lemon essential oil, 20 drops of cinnamon essential oil, 15 drops of eucalyptus, and 10 drops of rosemary essential oil. Uh so that's your oil um, People have used it to um well, they've added it to one drop of the essential oil, like all the combinations into an ounce of water and uh, you can use it to uh spray around your house and clean windows um if you add a drop of the thieves oil to four drops of a uh, carrier oil like coconut oil. Um, You can use it for skin massage so that uh, you can diffuse it also. Um, It'll clean the air in your house and eliminate odors. So that's the the Four Thieves oil. I've actually made something similar. Um, It's vinegar of the Four Thieves, and you can get uh, equal parts of lavender, sage, thyme, lemon balm, hyssop, peppermint and a handful of garlic cloves and you blend all the ingredients in a glass jar and then you cover them all with um, organic unpasteurized apple cider vinegar and you cold infuse it which is you let it sit at room temperature in a cool place so you let it sit for six weeks and then after that you strain off all the herbs and the garlic and you can use it as a salad dressing Um, erica's used the the uh, four thieves oil and she puts it on the bottom of her feet before bed, <laughs> and it fights everything, so she says. Excellent
1: news. That's good to
2: know. Yeah. And the the actual vinegar, Forte's vinegar, it's pretty tasty. I've tried it before. It tastes good.
4: I haven't tried it, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It also isn't interesting to see that you can clean up stuff with that, so that's good. Yeah. Because all the disinfectants and everything, they're very toxic. You know, on the organic version. I'm not sure if they're you know organic enough, so to speak. So yeah. these sounds like a really good option.
2: Yeah, and Erica says it's good to put on your feet if you can't tolerate taking it by mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so is that our 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 herb show for the moment? I think we covered a lot of stuff. I mean. There's a lot to talk about, but, yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: So be careful.
2: Yeah, be careful with your herbs. Get a good book. Consult an herbalist. Remember that diet is a foundation. Don't just throw herbs down your throat willingly. Make sure you know what you're doing and only use them for brief periods. Don't use them all the time. You got to get to the root cause of whatever you're suffering from. Yeah, that's right. And ideally, Actually, use them in him. your food. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our show for today, folks. We'll be back next month. Next, whoops, I forgot the whole time. Next Friday, we'll have a special guest. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.